There's a place so familiar to me that when I saw a relatively low quality shot of it online, I could remember precisely where I had sat. It's an amphitheater cut into the side of a hill at a camp in the San Bernardino Mountains where I was early introduced to the love of Jesus. It is a place where I experienced God, a place for which I'm deeply grateful. I imagine you probably have places like that yourself. And we're heading to a part of the Exodus story where place will matter tremendously. If you were to read Exodus 25 to 31 and 35 to 40, which is not exactly as fun as my recent commitment to reread everything Ellen Hildebrand wrote, which is all set on Nantucket, you'd find this, an extreme level of detail devoted to the construction of the tabernacle, a fancy tent for worship that was not just some simple outdoor canopy with twinkle lights. This mobile worship space was ornate, lavish, excessive even in its design and decor. There are details that are equally so on the attire for the priest. Now, at first glance, these verses might not feel as fuzzy and devotional as some of the other things we read, but there are three themes that thread themselves through the chapters about the tabernacle that are incredibly interesting. At least I think so. And we're going to explore them together. And here's the first. God desires to be with people and loves when people desire that as well. You see, the construction of the tabernacle happens by gathering supplies through an offering that is not coerced. There is a genuine desire that would motivate it. Exodus 25, 1-2, Yahweh said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to bring me their sacred offerings, accept the contributions from all whose hearts are moved to offer them. 35, 29, So the people of Israel, every man and woman who was eager to help in the work Yahweh had given them through Moses, brought their gifts, and gave them freely to Yahweh. This is an important detail about how this whole project begins that is born out of a genuine desire to participate. When I was a high school kid, our family took a trip to Italy, and I remember looking around at the various cathedrals that were meant to inspire awe and wonder, and I felt a bit uncomfortable with how much money they represented that had not been offered freely. How during the time of their construction, people suffered while these elaborate buildings were made. This is not meant to be like that. A second theme that comes through the building of the tabernacle is that God longs for us to experience God's presence. The point of the tabernacle is that it promises presence. It might not be visible in the ways that the pillars of cloud and fire have been to this point, but in the tabernacle, God's presence is guaranteed. Exodus 25.8, God says, have the people build a holy sanctuary for me so I can live among them. I mean, what it would mean for these formerly enslaved people to have a God who is so palpably and wonderfully present now. Exodus 40, 38, the last verses of the whole book talk about God's presence. The cloud of Yahweh hovered over the tabernacle during the day and at night fire glowed inside the cloud so the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout all their journeys. God is longing for the people to experience God's presence. And then the third theme of the tabernacle is how God does transform the people in the process of construction. The people will become different because they have built and then used this place. So for instance, 
There is repeated mention that they are meant to keep the Sabbath as they build. God does not want even God's own dwelling place built at the expense of the community's rest. Tell the people of Israel, he says in chapter 31, 13, be careful to keep my Sabbath day for the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between me and you from generation to generation. It's given so you may know I'm Yahweh who makes you holy. You must keep the Sabbath day for it is a holy day for you. We're going to be a set apart sort of people with set apart sort of practices of rest. Another thing that's interesting about this transformation is how the actual design of the tabernacle is such that the space for the tent takes up so much and then around it is empty space, about the size of a soccer field, literally. And that is hangout space. While the fancy tent piece is for worship with all of its various ornaments, there's also community space built into the design. Even now, if you were to make a trip to the Temple Mount, you would find people playing soccer. There's an understanding of the role this space should play for the community, that it would be transformational for them by providing connection and rest. Along with this is a sense that how we do what we do in here nods to how all will be done out there. The life we get to practice as we come to gather in this place will spread to be the life that fills the world. That is, God is not hoping to transform the people from people God doesn't really like to better versions of people that God can tolerate. Rather, God delights in the people and hopes to transform them into people who trust what is really true and spread it to the world. With that in mind, here are some of the features of the tabernacle that I find pretty fascinating. One is that there is a light, a lantern that is always lit. In that community, light is symbolic for safety. A God who creates light and drives back darkness is creating a safer place. And a tabernacle that is full of light is a place of safety. The Ark of the Covenant, the fancy box covered in gold that contains the commandments, it is a symbol of being chosen by God and belonging of a God who keeps their promise and demonstrates it for them. There's also a feature called the mercy seat which people aren't entirely sure what that means, but they do know from the rest of the passages that it has to do with being the ones that God has given commandments to. And that is seen as an incredibly good thing because of how many of the commandments of God end abuse and limit power and protect people. It's a good thing to be the ones who have received God's law. There is a table and it has bread on it, a sign of being sustained, a sign of being nourished in this place and by our God. And then there's a whole lot of description of various colors, especially blues, purples, and reds, colors that are often echoed in royal spaces, and then nod to the reality that God loves beauty. And yet, even understanding that God does this out of a deep desire for communion, for people to want God's presence and be willing to offer space for that, even seeing how the ornate plan was deeply intentional because it would be transformational, The fact still does remain. God doesn't need a place. Genesis 1 uses temple building language, speaking of the whole earth God has made. Psalm 24 says the earth is Yahweh's and everything in it, and the world and all its people belong to Yahweh, for they laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. God doesn't need a place. 
And so even as we see some of the why behind the tabernacle, we're still left a bit with why? Why so much? Why spend so much time in scripture with it? And there are some interesting pieces to that, including that it was probably written in exile long after it actually happened by people who no longer have a place. The temple is now gone. Plus, there was the fact that the temple was David's idea and God felt ambivalent about it at best. And so this is described in such a way that it would give a person the ability to picture it in their mind. They could imagine it. And if God can be with these people in the desert tent, God can be with us in exile too. God doesn't need a place, but sometimes people do. And so God is eager to be with people and God will roll with the fact that this is what they need. God doesn't need special places, not tabernacles or temples, churches or cathedrals, but also God knows that special places help us. And sometimes God makes ordinary places special as well. Where is it for you? Has God ever made an ordinary place special? Or has God ever offered you a special and sacred sort of place? Call to mind, if you would, a place or two where you have experienced the presence of God. What's it look like? Or sound like? Or smell like? Is it a place people often expect to find God? Or is it somewhere a bit less expected? And take a moment to thank God for that place today.